Hi, everyone. This is Mark Vaquito from the Endless Enigma podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Now, the guests we have on this show are real people with real stories. These aren't voiceover actors reading some made-up story just to get people to listen and get likes. So if you like what you hear on this show, please follow us. Give us a like. We'd love to hear from you. And you can find us on Instagram at Endless underscore Enigma, on Facebook at Enigma, and on Twitter at Endless Enigma Podcast. Uh, you can even email us at Enigma Podcast, the number one, at gmail.com. I'd really like to hear from you, and I'd really like to uh, get your thoughts on, on the show and the opinions. And if you have a couple stories you want to tell, get a hold of me and we'll put you on the air. Okay? So, remember, <laughs> the mind is like a parachute. It doesn't work if it's not open. Let's get to the show. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Endless Enigma Podcast. Hey, today we got a really special guest uh, on the line here. His name is Rich Daniels from Albuquerque, New Mexico. He's done a lot of research in the field. He had sightings in four different states. And, uh, you know, he's, he mentioned Maryland. And, you know, I was kind of I was kind of thrown by that because um, you didn't you don't think there's going to be a sighting in, in Maryland of all places. I, you know, I could see Colorado and Michigan and, and uh, New Mexico, but Maryland, it's a little crazy. All right. So, Richard, hello. How are you? I'm having a good time. Thanks for having me on, Mark. Yeah, great. So tell us a little about, you know, yourself and what you do and and uh, everything else. <laughs> Well, I started researching in uh, 2005, um, caught the bug uh, like a lot of people do after an encounter, and have been, you know, um, uh, fast on the trail of really what the truth is. And that's that's really what I push myself to, to go for. I'm not a guy who writes books. I'm not a guy who writes a blog. I'm, I'm a guy who... Uh, researches and does a lot of hard science and uh, you know I leave all the other type of things to the people that are interested in that uh, kind of stuff and uh, I just I just stick with as much fact as I can get to and it's taken me down some interesting pathways when it comes to uh, the research community and it, it's it's been uh, a, you know like a lot of people it's been a real passion um, to be a part of it, but it's also been, you know, uh, very trying at times as, you know, the community can get kind of, kind of fragmented and kind of, uh, kind of, uh, challenging to be able to deal with everything that's out there. But, uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, every bit of research that I can get to. That's great. Um, yeah. And I get you, I, I understand what you mean by challenging and, and you got all those naysayers out there and, you know, until you, really see what you saw um it doesn't hit you i tell you the truth i'm terrified if i god if i have ever seen one I, like we were up in maine a couple of weeks ago and we were up near um moosehead lake and uh it was funny because i go into a shop and there's all these bigfoot things in the shop there on the lake and i'm like oh my god this is like i never thought of it it's like perfect territory uh for for him to hide and and hang out and just you know thrive you know, mm -hmm. and what a lot of folks don't realize is that these these creatures are are highly adaptable. Absolutely, um, yep. they've they've been seen in every one of the uh, the lower forty eight. They've been seen in Alaska, all throughout Canada, and there are also 
reports of the same kind of creatures uh, on virtually every other continent as well. So, I mean, there's a lot to deal with when it comes down to it. But, you know, it just seems as though there's there's uh, a creature like this pretty much wherever you go uh, in the world. You can hear a story about them. And it's a, it's an incredible thing. And, you know, I've, I, I spend a lot of time reviewing reports and a lot of time talking to people in depth. I, I don't like doing just the preliminary, okay, where did you see this thing? And I'm going to go check it out kind of interviews. Yeah. I, I try to talk to people. Uh, two or three times most of the time and, and get into some real long conversations about where they are, you know, where, you know, uh, as far as their experience and, you know, how it's been with them, because it, it says a lot about the phenomenon when you talk about the impact that it's had on a lot of folks. And cause I know the impact it's had on me. Uh, two of my encounters have been pretty um, shaking. Right. You know, been, I mean, you, when been, you say uh, impact, when you say impact, you're talking emotional impact, right? Emotional and psychological <clears throat> yeah. as well. I mean, there's a lot of folks that that deal with that. Um, you know, I uh, shared with you a study that I did a couple or, or released a couple of years ago over over uh, three years of research. Uh, I spoke to over 400 people, and I selected 148 of the of them to use as part of the study and to be able to compile a lot of the effects that they had, the reactions to their encounters um, and different things that go on there. And I can tell you um, for certain that it is for most everyone that encounters these creatures, it's a life changing thing. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you have your, your reality is not the same as it once was because, you know, you felt safe, you know, walking around in the woods, you felt safe going camping, you felt safe going hunting. And then you encounter a creature that absolutely terrifies you, that's not supposed to exist. Right. Now, do you, and, now, do you um, feel that they're, they're um, malevolent? Can be. Okay. Can be. Just like a person. Um, Just like know, a person, right? Uh, Everyone yeah, has a different I mean, personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of my encounters, I was dealing with... Uh, a creature that was very unhappy that I was there. Wow. And I can tell you it was not um, the most wonderful experience. Ew. But, um, you know, that was that was uh, my third of the four encounters that I've had. Um, but, I, you know, uh, I, I, I should probably start with uh, the first encounter that I had, which actually got me interested in this field and, you know, set the fire under me. Uh-huh. Um, and that, that was, you mentioned earlier that it, uh, I've had an encounter in Maryland and that was the, my first encounter. And that was in the area where the, where four States converge, Penn, Southern Pennsylvania, Maryland, the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia, and then Northern, the Northern tip of uh, Virginia all converge in an area right there. Uh-huh. And uh, this was outside a town called Big Pool, Maryland, which is roughly 90 minutes west of uh, Baltimore. Okay. If you go straight west. <clears throat> and because um, you, you drive straight west and you hit Frederick, Maryland, you hit Hagerstown, Maryland, and then outside of Hagerstown, Maryland, there is Big Pool. And a young lady and I, that uh, an that I was dating at the time, and I had uh, taken her children out for, you know, a day, you know, uh, 
you know, like a day of picnic and everything like that. It was January, but we had found ourselves on a very warm day for January in that area, which was about 60 degrees. Mm -hmm. So we took advantage of the day and we're out everywhere and went and visited folks and ended up getting in late. Um, and her house was outside of this town. It was, I mean, literally right up against the woods. Um, there, there, it's, it's a big forested area. And the moment we got out of her car, we could hear something big moving around in the woods because there was a lot of deadfall leaves and, you know, a lot of leaf litter and everything like that. You could hear something moving around. Right. And in that area, when you hear something that big moving around, you immediately think black bear. And yeah. the black bears out there, the big ones get to maybe about 300, 350 pounds. They don't get massive like some of the, some of the other areas, but they're big enough to the point where you don't want to tangle with them. And so, you know, we, we immediately got into action. She hustled her kids inside and it was my job to gather up all the, you know, the leftover food and the dishes and everything. From <laughs> of the course, picnic. that was yeah. your job. Of course, that was your yeah. job. Yeah. You know, and I'm trying to do it all in one trip. So I've got my arms full and I try to put the hatch, you know, I'm putting the hatch on her car down with my elbow and running in the house and all the while listening to, you know, try and see how close this bear is in the woods. Right. And, um, you know, while I was listening to it, something occurred to me. And I mean, it, 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 at the time, it didn't seem, you know, alarming to me, but I couldn't, it was like I was hearing only two footsteps. Right. You know, you, you can hear what four footsteps sound like. You hear what a bear sounds like, mm -hmm. but it sounded like only two footsteps. And I, you know, at that point, you know, the mind just starts to rush to justify things. Well, maybe he's up on two feet. He's trying to look at me, trying to get a look at me, or he's got something treed. He's trying to get at it up in the tree or something like yep, that. Yep. I'm just hustling, trying to get out of there. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, a, you know, one of those you know times where you get a little excited and you want to get out of there. So we got inside and everything, and my, my girlfriend comes down and looks out the, the door, you know, out the window to see where, you know, see if she can see the bear. And she notices that my elbow was not the most efficient tool for putting down the hatch of her car. And the dome light in her car was on. And she had to be to work the next morning and she didn't want her battery run down. So, you know, somebody had to go out and push that hatch down. And <laughs> I can I can tell you that chivalry is not dead. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I told her, I said, okay, I'll do it. Okay. I guess it's me. Yeah. yeah I get it. I yeah. get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, and I, I had, you know, I had enough experience in the woods at that point, you know, did a little hunting and some camping and things like that. And I knew I didn't want to walk out there with my eyes not adjusted to the dark. Mm -hmm. So I turned out the porch light and everything, and I wanted to be able to have my eyes adjusted the best I could. Um, you know, typically be able to, at least to be able to pick up movement if this black bear's moving around, right. you know, it comes out of the woods or something like that. And, you know, we, what was really uh, good about that was that the tree line around her house was lined with bushes and briars. And they went up to about four or five feet level. And that's where the canopy of the trees came down to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was, that was made a pretty good barrier at the edge of the woods, except for one spot where about 15 feet of the bushes and briars had been beaten down and taken out. And that's where we had 
used to go out into the woods to hike and take her kids out in the woods to play and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like your your little game trail. Yeah, and coincidentally, that was where she would take food that was about to go bad and dump it out there so animals could eat it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my mind, I'm, I'm looking directly at that spot. That uh, you know, you know, bears don't generally just ignore obstacles. They don't hurt themselves and purposefully trying to to get to their their prey. I mean, they they do like we do. They take the path of least resistance. They don't want to get gripped up by a bunch of briars or anything like that. So I'm I know that if it's going to come out of there, it's going to come out of that spot. Right. So my eyes got I got my eyes adjusted well enough that I felt comfortable enough to walk out there and I had to walk about 20 feet out to where the car was and I walked with my eyes on that gap that was in the tree line got to the car and shoved down the hatch on the car and the moment I did that I saw movement in that gap And, and what struck me about that is that is that it wasn't movement across it it wasn't movement coming out of the gap. The movement was going straight downward toward the ground. Really? Like it was crouching it, down? Yeah. It was the, the, the it was a mass moving down. And I, I and it, it it just caught my eye because it was I wasn't expecting it. Uh-huh. Really. I mean it was just something weird. And I looked and I could see the shape of something there. And the moment I looked at it, I said, That thing is huge. And in my mind, it's a bear. Right. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, up until that point, I would tell you that I was pretty much a Bigfoot agnostic. <laughs> you know, I had heard stories and all that kind of stuff. Didn't really take too much stock into them. Or be, you know, you see the tabloids at the supermarket and that kind of stuff. Didn't really think about it too much at all. So in my mind, I'm looking at a bear. And it's the biggest bear I've ever seen. And that's scary that enough area. right there. It, it's, it's, its head was right at the where the canopy of the trees were, which was five feet. About five feet, yep. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at this thing like, holy cow, that thing's big. And then I see shoulders, and we're talking shoulders that stick straight out from where the neck is. Right. And they had to be three feet wide, maybe more. Wow. Um, and I'm thinking to myself. What kind of bear has shoulders like that? Yeah, it you didn't know, register. Bear, Nothing registered, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, a bear, a bear, when a bear sits down, they are pretty much slope-shouldered. Yep, like a dog. You know, they, they, yeah. Yep. And you, you, you think about that, I was thinking like, wow, that's a, that's a funny-looking bear. <laughs> and then in front of it, I could make out knees kind of sticking up. Like the thing is crouching like a baseball catcher. Yeah. Holy crap. And, I'm, you and know, in a and crouch, again, and in a crouch, he's five feet tall. Yeah, and this <laughs> this strikes me again, like, what kind of bear sits like that? You know, when a bear sits down, it sits down on its haunches the way a dog does, or yeah. it'll sit down directly yeah. on its behind and stick its feet out. Yeah. And I'm just staring at this thing, you know, and, you know, again, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, there's a thing called cognitive dissonance, mm-hmm. to where you're experiencing something and your brain just doesn't, doesn't process doesn't register it doesn't yeah you're you're trying to process yeah i get you i've been there yep yeah i was deep in the middle of cognitive dissonance at that point because i just i was seeing something that my brain just wasn't grasping Mm -hmm. 
and I, I, I stared at this thing for what must have been a minute. It was about 40 feet away. And then from behind me, I hear my girlfriend out the door going, what are you trying to do, get killed? And, you know, that snapped me back to kind of reality. And I'm saying to myself, I say, okay, I got 20 feet to go. And there's this massive bear 40 feet away from me. Now, do I run or do I back up? The last thing in the world you want to do is run. Exactly. (laughs) If you turn and run, the the hunting prey response will start and they'll be on you. Instinct kicks in. Yeah. So I just slowly started to back up, you know, just backing away and kept my eyes on this thing. And I got about 10 feet. And it hadn't moved, and I said, okay. And I just turned around and walked back into the house. And I figured, okay, done. And, you know, my girlfriend asked me, oh, did you see it? I said, oh, yeah, I saw I saw it. It was over there. And, you know, kind of, you know, told her, I said, it was the biggest bear I've ever seen, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We stayed up for a little while to make sure nothing happened, and nothing did. And that was that. Now, five years later. Let's go ahead five years because this was in the this was in January of 2000 that this happened. Okay. Five years later, I had um, actually I wasn't seeing that young lady anymore. I had met met, met uh, my wife, and we had uh, gotten married and moved down to Orlando, Florida. And one thing that I deal with on a all too often basis is insomnia. Those nights where I just was not sleeping. Right. And so three o'clock in the morning, I'm turning the TV on and I'm just flipping through the channels trying to find something, you know, to, to occupy my time. On comes a show. I, I, I say this all, I tell people this all the time. The thing that came out of my mouth when I saw that was, okay, this will put me to sleep. And started watching this show without knowing much about it at all. And about 15 minutes into the show, there was a gentleman from who started to describe what it was he saw. And his description was about a 95% match to what I had seen that night five years before in Maryland. And, and it just came back to you. It just flooded right back, right? It, it did. And I can tell you at that moment, I got a chill down my spine. My hand started to shake. And I got up and went into the bathroom to splash some water on my face, and all the color had drained from my face, realizing what it was that was there. Because it was no bear. There's no way that was a bear. You know, I had talked to, after that, I had told some friends of mine, you know, that were hunters and everything, what I had seen. I said, you better watch out. There's a really big bear out there. And they just kind of laughed and said, no, there's nothing was that big. Because you're talking an animal of the size that I saw if it was crouching, was probably well over six, 700 pounds. Yeah, at, uh, at five feet in a crouch, which is, yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. that's just a mass <clears throat> of, you know, of, of an animal. Now, did it make any and, sound? Was there any sound? Was there any, any uh, no. like people say no there's sounds, always a, an odor? No sounds, no smell, nothing hmm. like that. But, you know, I could definitely see the shape of it, and I could definitely see some features. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just incredible to me, you know, at that point, you know, five years later, the impact that it had on me, I was a thousand miles away from where it happened. Right. And, you know, it still hit me hard. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I, I literally, I stumbled around in kind of, I, you know, some people would call it a daze. 
but what I know now, uh, it's called a stress response. And it's what your, it's what your, it's what your mind does and what your body does to compensate, to be able to deal with a traumatic situation that you've had. And it's, it's, um, it's very similar to ADHD. It's kind of a, it's kind of a temporary state of ADHD uh-huh. that a stress response really hits someone. It's almost like a, that, um, it's almost like a sympathetic reflex dystrophy. Like if you hurt one, one foot and you start using your other foot to compensate for the uh, loss of movement or the, or the pain in that other foot, then you start getting a pain in your right foot because you're overcompensating for your other hurt limb. Um, mm-hmm. I've it's, had, it's, it's I've your, had that. Yeah. It's your mind. It's your mind really trying to cope. Right. Right. With, what, yeah, yeah. with, with high stress. And it's the same thing. The same thing happens to people that get into say traumatic car accidents or have they witness acts of violence or they're chronic abuse victims, that kind of stuff. Um, I've worked in the mental behavioral health field as a paraprofessional for the last 12 years. And, you know, I can tell you, I've dealt with a lot of folks in the same state. And I didn't, you know, again, I didn't know it was happening to me. Right, right. And I was very, I was very lucky that my wife picked it up. And after about two days, she just said to me, she said, look, what's wrong? There's something wrong. And then I spoke to her what I call the words. And I think it's what anybody that's ever had an experience, you know, an encounter with these creatures, they, they, they say the words when before they're about to tell somebody about it. And the words are, I just don't think you're going to believe me. Oh, yes. And the, I, I said those words to her. And luckily, she just said, okay, tell me. And, uh, you know, what's uh, ironic about it is that soon after that, uh, you know, uh, that me relating that experience to her, she was a longtime uh, employee of the federal government and had worked in the Department of Defense. Um, when we, when we moved to New Mexico here, it was for her to take a job with the U S forest service. So it was, you know, I, I, kind of got into a situation where I was in, uh, you know, closer contact with people that are out in the field all the time. Right. And to, and to do so on an insider basis, because my wife was, you know, she worked, you know, higher up in the regional area for, you know, for the forest service out here. And, you know, I was I was very lucky that she listened to me and didn't pass judgment and didn't, you know, do any of those, you know, any of the naysayer kind of things. She she understood me enough to know that if it had it had impacted me very, you know, very heavily. And if I was reacting like that, there was something to it. Right. She didn't she didn't know what it was. She couldn't say for sure, but she knew there was something real there, something important there. So, I mean, you know, I was very lucky to have had the support uh, of somebody that would listen to me and that would, you know, would let me talk about it. There's so many people that have these encounters that don't have that support, don't feel like there's anybody they can talk to. Yeah, without and, without them uh, criticizing them or... Uh you know, telling them they're crazy and they don't know what they saw and it's just their mind playing tricks on you. No, that's, that's not it. That's not it. Yeah. And, judgment and ridicule. I've had plenty yeah. of people tell me, Oh, you saw a bear. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. And then, then I have to tell them, okay, well the research that I did 
you know, and has been confirmed, you know, by several professionals in the field, is that the last time a bear of that size was in that area of North America was the short-nosed bear 10,000 years ago. <laughs> right. So, no, I didn't see a bear unless somebody just, you know, got a, you know, one of the biggest grizzlies you could find and set them loose in Maryland somewhere. Yeah. That's so, not you know, but I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's part of my experience that I try to, um, I try to bring to people and let them know it's okay to feel what you feel about this. It's okay for you to, to tell people what this really shook me up. This, this, you know, this crushed me. And, um, you know, it's hard to deal with, uh, when you're by yourself. In the course of doing that study that I did, I spoke to several people. There was one fellow who I spoke to who hadn't spoken to anybody about it in 35 years. Wow. And to be able to walk around silent with that with that kind of impact on you without being able to share, without being able to let it out, without being able to relate it to anyone is I, I can't imagine what that was like. But you know, I, I really can't imagine how that, you know, the, the, the mental pathways this gentleman had to create to be able to keep moving and keep being a productive human being. Um, yeah, what that took, it, you know, it just takes, you know, a Herculean effort, I think, because, you know, it, it you know, that, that encounter shook me up quite a bit. And I've seen other people that they, it, it, these things have changed the entire course of their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it, it's really really tough to deal with. Wow. Hey everybody, it's Mark from Endless Enigma Podcast. Did you ever sit back while you're listening to your favorite podcast and say, "Man, I'd like to start one, but I don't know where to begin"? Well, I did the same thing, and I came across Anchor. Now, Anchor is a platform that gives you everything you need to start your own podcast. You don't need all kinds of expensive equipment, really. You need a, a laptop, headphones, a microphone, and, and maybe your cell phone. That's it. They have all the tools you need. They even distribute your podcast to other platforms. <laughs> they do everything. It's simple. It's easy. And you know what? It's fun. So if you guys want to go out there and, and start a podcast, you got something to say, you got something to talk about, I, I urge you, go to Anchor, check it out. <laughs> Believe me, you won't be discouraged. This is great. Your first encounter uh, in Maryland, um, you, uh, you moved to Florida and then you moved out to New Mexico. Now tell me about uh, your experiences in New Mexico? Well, uh, did, I did have, you know, like I say, my third encounter. Um, uh, well, my last three encounters have been since I've lived here. Um, my second one was with a group of guys that I had hooked up with up in Colorado. And then my third one was down here. Um, and that was the one, that was another, uh, another harrowing uh, type experience. Uh, that I had out there. I, at that point, it was, uh, it was 2013. You know, I've been researching for a while. I spent a lot of time doing armchair research mm -hmm. and really, um, getting myself, 
familiar with things and trying to educate myself on the, on the subject. And um, then I started to tell myself, yeah, okay, I need to go out in the field. I need to start doing this kind of stuff. And I did a lot of research, you know, as far as tracking, as far as trail marking and, you know, all that kind of stuff that I could do. And I got to the point where I felt really, really confident. And I had found a, an issue that had happened in a town in uh, New Mexico here called uh, Jemez Springs. Mm-hmm. And Jemez Springs, had, I saw in a newspaper article that they had had a spike in missing dogs and cats. <laughs> okay. And that, you know, you know, as, as a researcher, that, that raises a red flag for you. Right. And there's a national park not far from there. Uh, I mean, very, I mean, literally butts up against, you know, almost butts up against the town itself. And I walked up there, you know, one night, you know, I went up to that, I mean, it's, it's about, you know, geez, an hour and a half to travel up there for me. And I, you know, I started to make regular trips up there to check out the area, the ground and everything between this national park and this town. And I started to, I started to pick up some signs, enough signs for me to think that it might have been like a transitional kind of area for these creatures to come out of this park and then be able to go into this town and forage a little bit. And because you're not talking about a big town at all. And that Springs is not a huge town. Um, so, you know, getting in and out of that town or, getting, you know, just going around its periphery would be uh you know, a lot easier than, you know, bigger city or anything like that. Right. So my research turned me towards finding where they might be used to come, you know, uh, what, what they might be using to come out of this park and get over to the town. And it, I tracked it down to a little box canyon. And when I say little, it was maybe 300 feet long and about 75 or 80 feet deep to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. It was just this little crevasse you know, that, that was there that would provide them, they could walk up from the floor of this national park through this thing and get out into the open and not have to worry about, you know, being seen right. coming out of the park. You know, they could do this at night and they, they could use that little, uh, right. little canyon for cover. <clears throat> and so I really thought, okay, you know, I had seen some signs. I had seen a partial footprint there that convinced me enough that it's okay, they're using this. Mm-hmm. So I made up my mind. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to, I'm going to be the man, right? I'm going to be that guy who goes out and finds them and proves everything and all this kind of stuff. I was so full of it right at that point. And I go out there um, and the, the you have to be out in the national, you have to be in this park to be able to do this. And this, this particular park closes at night. Right. So you can't, you can't be out there after, after sundown. Well, I showed up, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon or so and walked into the park, you know, it was about a 45 minute walk that I had to go from where I parked my car to get into where I needed to be. And I started to put together a, uh, a blind, out of just the deadfall wood that was around there. I got one that got to be about three and a half or four feet high or so. And um, I got behind that blind and I sat down and, and, and what I take with me out there is a, is a regular five gallon bucket that has a seat cushion 
on it. Mm-hmm. So that's my thing. You know, I can keep stuff in it as well as sit on it. It's pretty utilitarian. So I just planted myself on this on this seat behind this blind, and I was ready. And I know it was it was effective because right right at dusk, two park rangers now you know from you know national parks came walking through this little canyon and they didn't see me <laughs> because you know and yeah. if they would have seen me i would have got shooed out of there exactly they, yeah yeah so i know i mean i did I, I, so, you know, I did so you did a good good damn job yeah <laughs> yeah so um it was it was a pretty quiet night and um it was after well after midnight probably somewhere around in, you know, I'm guessing about 1.15 or so, that I started to hear things change. Um, I started to hear less and less animal noise. Um, and that, that, these, that's something that you, you know, you, you really got to be attuned to when you're out there because that's when trouble right. is coming. When it gets quiet. Yeah. And then I guess it was about two o'clock or so, all the animal noise stopped. And I'm talking about, I didn't hear uh, bugs, didn't hear anything, no birds, nothing. And it was not long after that, that I started, that I heard a distant kind of a howl. And I think, you know, we've all heard that it goes for about, you know, 10, 20 seconds. And it's just this kind of uh, what I started to call a sounding. And that's just like, hey, I'm here. You know, it's just a long howl. And it was too deep for any coyote. That's for sure. And then a few minutes later, I heard another one that was closer. And they were approaching. I could tell. Something, you know, something was coming this, this way. And the last one I heard was, I'm guessing, was maybe less, maybe less than a mile away. Mm-hmm. That I could, I could tell it was, you know... It was just trying to, I don't know whether it was announcing its presence or whether it was seeing if anybody would join it or anything like that. Again, I have no idea what these vocalizations mean. And anybody that tells you they do, I just, I'd really love to, you know, really love to see how they confirm that. Yeah, right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it was about, uh, I guess about 20, 25 minutes after I'd heard the last howling noise that I started to hear something moving through the woods and this thing I could hear it moving through I could hear branches breaking I could hear footsteps and it got up to a point where I'm guessing it was maybe 25 20 to 25 yards from my blind and at that point the the footprint you know the footsteps stopped all the other noise stopped and it was for maybe 30 or 40 seconds and then it started to growl and it started to bark and it started to, you know, uh, move around my position a little bit, sort of circle around it. And it, ultimately it ended up circling around about a 270 degree arc around me. Okay. And I was just too far for me to see anything. And the only thing I could think to do as this thing was doing this, was to just pivot on this little seat that I had and keep facing it. Right. Because the last the last thing in the world I wanted to do was let an, an angry animal behind me. Right. So I just kept facing it and it kept moving around. And I can tell you that this thing was angry. 
um, because I could feel, you know, because my, my face was sticking up above the top of this blind. Right. And I could feel the sound waves hitting me in the face of this now, thing projecting. Was it that loud? Was it, was it, and barks was it and, shaking? And was it like a, a sh did it, did you actually feel it when it growled and it howled? Could you actually feel those, you know? Yes. That's scary. I could feel the sound waves hitting me in the face. Wow. Wow. And the, there, and, and you know, there it was no bear. I can tell you that because this thing made a, a couple of times it made a noise that the only way I could describe it is as an angry gurgling kind of noise, hmm. you know, kind of like a, you know, yeah. not a growl, but kind of, you know, just kind of like you're, you know, you, you wanted to, you wanted to make one noise and something else came out because you wanted to try something at the wrong, at the last second, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it was, it was a very, you know, and, and to be honest with you, I, I, I thought to myself, it's a very human noise. It's a very human-like noise, right? Um, but the, the the it's the the voice and the power that it had was so deep and so powerful, and that's when at that moment I knew that's when I realized how far over my head I was in. Right. Um, I was out there. I don't carry a firearm with me oh. in in the woods, not because I'm against guns or anything like that. I'm you know. I'm, I, I, you know, gun, gun rights and all that stuff. That's that's fine with me. Do what you want, but I just don't trust myself with one. I don't have enough experience using one, and to go out and get into a high pressure situation to, and to use one properly, I just don't. It's just not worth it. I really don't. Yeah, I don't trust <clears throat> just myself. Not worth it. Yep. Uh, you know, and there's there's not enough holes and paper targets that I can put in something to really train <laughs> me to be able to handle a situation like that. So I had with me, I had a you know I. I uh, I had a can of bear spray and I had an air horn, a party air horn, which had gotten me out of plenty of scrapes with other animals before, mm -hmm. because that's not a noise they generally hear and it scares animals away. And that was pretty much what I had. I mean, that, the, you know, little camping knife that I had, I, you know, that I had carried with me. And at that point I realized if this thing really, really didn't, didn't want me around anymore, that it, there was nothing I could do about it. Right. And this whole scenario went on for about 40 to 45 minutes of this thing stomping around, um, you know, my position trying to scare me out of there. And it, it was stomping because it, every once in a while I could feel the vibrations in the ground. <sighs> um, that's how big it was. And that's how hard it was. It was stomping on the ground. Wow. And then um, at one point after a while, I, I had heard it snap a branch off of a tree and it was a distinct pop that you hear when you know a branch comes off yep. and i thought to myself okay this thing's going to take that thing and come over here and beat the daylight yeah now he's got a weapon right yeah as if he needed one because he really didn't <laughs> yeah really and then but then a few seconds later this branch landed about seven feet to my left and this thing had taken a branch and thrown it you know 20 to 25 yards or so Wow. With pretty good accuracy, it, it, it nearly hit me. Wow. And then after that, the noises faded off. It headed back into the park where where it come from. So basically, that was, that was a shot yeah, across heard, the bow. Yeah, it was that, okay, you take this with you, that kind of thing. Uh -huh. 
And uh, when the noises died out, I mean, I looked at recording, uh, you know, whatever I could off of, and um, it was, you know, uh, almost five o'clock at that point. So it had walked up on me about 3.30 or so, I guess. And this had all gone on intermittently. And I looked at it, it was fine. And I said to myself, I don't have a flashlight and it's dark. I am not trying to get out of here. I'm going to, I'm, you know, I'm going to get myself killed trying to get out of this, you know, this forest. So I sat there and waited for first light, which was, was over an hour. Yeah. And that was the, one of the longest hours of my life. <laughs> I would imagine. There. Because yeah, I didn't know if this thing was going to go back and get its, get its buddies. I didn't know right. what was going to happen. I, I had no idea. When I had enough light, you know, I started packing up my gear. And in the course of packing up my gear, I look over at this branch that it threw. And the branch was about three inches thick. Holy cow. And about, about seven feet long. And snapped off clean. Yeah. Wow. Just snapped right off. And, um, you know, that I, you know, I, I was, I was scared up until that point. And then I saw the size of this branch and I knew that thing, that branch itself probably weighed about 30 to 40 pounds. Right. And this thing could fling that thing. That know, far. Seven, 70 or 80 feet. That's insane. With some accuracy. Yep. And that, that's, that's when it really got to me. And I picked up my gear and I turned a 45 minute walk into about a 20 minute jog back, <laughs> back to my car, you know, got everything, got everything in my car, and shut the door and put the key in the ignition. And that's when all my emotions let loose. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a small guy. I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm six foot two and I'm a 300 pound ex, ex, you know, I played college baseball. I was a power lifter. You know, I've done all kinds of stuff like that, and I'm not too proud to say that I cried like a baby oh, hell yeah. for about 15 minutes because all the pressure and all the emotion of all that just came it came at me all at once. Yeah, yeah. And it was it was a you know a, a brutal response, but you know I walked out of there counting myself very lucky because this you know this thing was obviously not happy with me in any way. And but you didn't you catch know, a glimpse. Know, there was you I don't know what kept it from coming after me. Right. But it did. Probably just warning you. You know, this is my territory. Don't need you here. Yep. You know. Well, it was just telling you. It was trying to scare me away. Yeah. I know it was trying to scare me out of there. Yeah. But um, in the same case I, as a bear, you're, you're, not gonna you know? you're not going to run. You're not going to run because it's not going to get you anywhere. Well, I, I had put myself in a position where I couldn't go anywhere. Right. You right. know. And I just, I didn't have the equipment to, you know, I didn't have any night vision, didn't have anything like that. So I was stuck there. And that was all part of my ignorance. And, you know, uh, thinking that I was, I had everything covered and I knew all I needed to know. And <laughs> yeah. I was in, that put me in a really bad spot. I feel, I feel really lucky to have come out of that without getting hurt. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. That's, that's a hell of a story. Uh, <laughs> holy cow. Now, Question. Um, you know, I, I hear all these people and, and, and these people talk about Bigfoot and stuff like that. Flesh and blood creature, interdimensional. I mean, what do you say? What, what's your take on that? You know, I've heard a lot of stories. You know, I've read a lot of reports about people saying that they walk into portals yeah, or that yeah. they, they disappear. Uh, I've even interviewed a few people that have talked about it. Um, 
I can tell you, I've never experienced that myself. I have right. no experience with that. No orbs. The, my experience, <clears throat> my experience is with, is with an actual animal that's out there. Right. Um, probably a good bit more than an animal than anybody wants to admit. Right. Um, but you know, I, but you know, I've encountered so many weird things since I've started this kind of research and investigating different incidents and like that to where I can't look at anybody and tell them, no, you're crazy. Um, <laughs> exactly. There's, there's so many, yeah, there's so many things out there and people tell me, you know, different things. And I've spoken to a lot of you know conferences and groups and things. And, um, you know, they tell me about this kind of stuff and I go like, wow, that's, uh, that's crazy. You know, that's amazing. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, a, right, oh, right. Wow. And they, and they want me to comment on it and I have nothing for them. Right. You know, I really <laughs> have nothing for them. You know, and, and I tell people, look, I don't know, um, anything about that. I, you know, and like I told you, I said, I've heard stories, but I don't, I couldn't tell you anything about, it. I don't right. know. And, uh, you know, one, one of the things I can, I can say, you know, possible explanation for some of it. Um, I've done a lot of research into, um, the effects of infrasound. Okay. Uh, that's the stream low frequency sound that it, it's inaudible, but it's still these inaudible sound waves that hit you. And you know there are some there are some of those things that can be that can be explained by known effects of infrasound, but infrasound doesn't come close to covering all of what of what people have claimed to see and witness. Right, right. And you know, um, you know, I think about it, and, and you know, having worked in the mental behavioral health field, I know what stress on the mind can do, but even that doesn't explain everything that people report talk about. And things like that. So, you know, when it comes down to it, um, the answer I have for people is I don't know. I simply don't know what what it is that that's all about. And right. when it comes to this field of research, I don't know is a perfectly good answer to some, you know, to some of the questions that come up. Absolutely. I agree with you 100 <laughs> percent. I don't know. And that's the perfect answer because you really don't know. Um, no, and, and I, I'm not somebody who's going to speculate. Right. I'm not somebody who's going to guess right. and, you know, talk, you know, out of one side of my face trying to do it. I, I, I just, I, I have no problem telling somebody, hey, I don't know anything about that. I, I don't you know. know. Uh, it, it, it's, it's some craziness that goes on and it's just something that we don't understand yet. And, uh, you know, hopefully there's some good people working on that because I'm working on my end of things and doing the best thing that I can. But um, until I have experience like that myself, I just can't, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't say for, you know, for 10% of what it is. Okay. Well, Rick, you, you got some great stories here. Um, I definitely would love to have you back on. Um, you did a great job of telling stories and you had me, you had me right there with you at the back of the car with that uh, so-called bear. <laughs> I can picture it. I mean, I literally can picture that whole scene as you're telling it. It's just like, holy cow. Um, well, I, I can tell you that, you know, that, that's the way to understand somebody who has had an experience and hasn't. Um, we're talking an experience that I had more than 21 years ago. Right. And I can still talk to you about it in the finest detail. And everything that I remember, I can tell you the clothes I had on. I can tell you what we had for dinner. I can tell you all that stuff. Wow. And it's just everything that comes up to that day. It becomes when you deal with a high stress situation like that 
and you go into what a stress response is, you basically have, you know, a, a, a high definition uh, Im imprint on your brain right. of what happened. Right. And it, it stays with you. And it anybody stays. who's had these encounters, um, I can tell you, I can tell the difference between somebody who has had an encounter and somebody who's embellishing. Because right. the stories change when they're embellished. Exactly. The stories get a little different. They morph and become bigger and better over time. Yeah, more exaggerated. Um, and when you talk to them. Exactly. Yeah. With somebody who's had a real experience, they'll tell you the same thing over now. And, over. and they'll tell you the same, the exact same thing 15, 20 years from now. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Rick, thank you so much for, for taking time out and on uh, such a short notice. Um, absolutely. Uh, you did a great job on the show today, and I would definitely love to have you back. I'm going to read your paper that you sent me. Um, I'm really interested in it now. And um, good luck on your research, and feel free to you know reach out to me anytime you want uh, if you got uh, some more stories, or if you actually get some cool pictures or something if you ever get some evidence that would be so cool um, well it's, it's my pleasure to you know, to come on and i just i you know i come out and i do these things because i work with people who have had these experiences and experiences and have been traumatized by them and i just you know i come out and i do these things to let people know that they're not alone right that there are people out there that are going to listen to you that aren't going to judge you that aren't going to ridicule you uh, and and that there are places for you to go to be able to talk to folks there and be go. able to, to share this and get this out of you because holding that in there, uh, it's, it's a trauma that I, it's trauma in and of itself not to be able to tell people about it. Right. Because and, it builds up like uh, pressure I, inside you and you got, you need a relief valve somewhere, you know? Yeah. And I want people to, I want people to know that there are folks out there that will listen and are supportive. And for those that haven't had the experiences, to be that person that'll listen and be supportive. There you go. Yeah, it's weird. And yeah, it's, it's it's very odd, but you know what? Just take a look at the impact it's had on this person that you're talking to, and right. let that be your guide. There you go. And uh, yeah, I think that's a big deal for folks. But but Mark, thank you for having me oh, on. Give me this opportunity. It's it's, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, and it's very very informative. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. I mean, I don't think there's very many people out there that are doing what you do uh, psychologically to help people. That's fantastic. Keep up the good work, Rick. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye.